a psalm that talks about the Lord's deliverance, about the Lord caring for us in difficult times. And it could have been written, are we okay? Okay. A psalm that could have been written for Jacob and his situation, and that's where we're going again this morning, the life of Jacob, Genesis 33. Uh, let's just pray as we, as we begin, though. Lord, we thank you that you are a God we can trust in. You have proven that over and over again in our lives, and you've proven that once and for all in history on the cross. Not only were you willing to sacrifice yourself for us, it was a sacrifice that, that paid the debt, the debt of our sin. And so as we come here this morning, we recognize that no matter what trial, what trouble, what difficulty, what challenge we face in this life, you are sufficient. You are a sufficient Savior. You are a sufficient uh, God, guide, comforter. And so we, we want to praise you. We want to continue to exalt your name. Uh, we've been doing that as we've sung about your deliverance, as we've sung about your protection, as we've sung about your love for us. Now we want to continue to exalt you even as we read your word, as we see how you have worked in the life of this child of yours, Jacob, man who we can identify with in so many ways. And Lord, as we consider how you will, how you want to work in our lives, Lord, help us. Help us to learn. Help us to be aware. Help us to just continue to grow uh, in your grace. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If there's one thing that makes learning truth easier, it's looking at a story, a story of somebody else's life, and that's what we've been doing with Jacob. We've been looking at his life, and we're drawn in by his humanity. We can identify with Jacob, and then we learn from a position of objectivity. We're not the one feeling the feelings, but we see the situation, and we go, don't do that, Jacob, or do this, Jacob, and, and we learn from that, and then, then if we follow through, we point those lessons back at ourselves, and we go, don't do that, or do this, as we go through life and as we experience the same sort of situations that he experienced in many different ways, and these truths that we're learning, they're not... They're not simply simple lessons. These are profound, practical life lessons. Life lessons that we can learn, that we should be learning as we watch Jacob travel on this relationship journey with God. So he's on a journey. He's traveling. We're learning. And it's not as simple as one of those, those YouTube travel diary sort of things where you, you know, these are the places to go, the places to camp, the places to eat. Uh, no, these are profound truths. These are life hacks, spiritual life lessons that we, you and I, should be learning. And so hopefully we've been doing that and uh, 
we've learned as he wrestled with the Lord. And this is the, the primary truth from last uh, two Sundays ago when, when we were looking at his life. Everything that we go through in this life that's a challenge is ultimately a wrestle, wrestling with the Lord. That's how we should see it. If we wrestle with any fear-related emotions, really the question that we're asking ourselves is, or that we should be asking ourselves is, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Maybe you think, well, it's, I'm wrestling with my faith. Well, it's not simply a religious struggle. It's not just a struggle about belief. The question is, will you obey God? Will I obey God? Will we obey God? That's what a faith struggle is all about. I mean, God is there. He created the world. He made us and all that's in it. And he communicated himself to us through Christ, through the word. Will we obey him? And so trust and obey. You know the hymn. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Simple lyrics, a simple truth, but sometimes it's so difficult to live that out just to say, yes, I will trust in what he has said. I will trust in what he's shown me in this life. And Jacob obviously was having trouble with that. And Jacob might have missed out on this, this fact and because he's a stubborn guy, maybe, Anybody relate with Jacob in terms of stubbornness when it comes to God? Well, be careful because what happened? What did God do? God came close, didn't he? (laughs) Remember? He came in there and he fought with Jacob. So Jacob would know this wrestling is all about you and me, Jacob. It's not about your fears and your faith. It's about you and me. And he could have snapped him in two. But Jacob went away. The victor, didn't he? Limped away. The victor. How could he have been the victor in this wrestling match? How could he have won? Well, he held on to the Lord. He was desperate, wasn't he? He said, don't let me go. Bless me. And really, when we think about it, there are times in our lives where God has come close to us, where we've really sensed his presence with us, haven't there? I mean, if you're a believer in the Lord, that's how you came to him in the beginning. All of a sudden, it dawned on you. Maybe you heard the gospel for forever, but all of a sudden, it makes sense. God works in our heart and he communicates, hey, I am here This is real. You need to grab on. And we do. And then there have been other times. But you know what? Every time, I was thinking about it, every time that God really comes, it's one of these traumatic, tragic, difficult situations. Because in those situations, what's happening? We're looking for God. So it's not a matter of him being there or not being there. It's a matter of us being awakened and aware and looking and desperate to find this God who is offering himself to us. So, will we trust? 
Will we obey? God realized we needed a sense of his presence. We needed his blessing. And so for us New Testament believers, what do we have? Jesus says, when I go, I'll leave the Spirit. The Spirit who is going to come and he's going to convict, he's going to convince, and he's going to support, and he's going to strengthen. What's he going to do with us? He's going to wrestle with us, isn't he? And that's what the Lord offers to us. The Lord is more than a match for any of us. And so don't worry about taking anything to him. Even your reluctance and rebellion. Don't just sit on it. Take it to the Lord. Talk to him. He can, he can handle it. Just show him you're desperate. Well, Jacob continues on his journey, and so do we. He's advancing not just across a physical wilderness going back home, but a spiritual one as well. But all through this journey, he's growing in grace. And we see this in his approach to adversity, his attitude about it in adversity, and his avoidance also of Esau. And we're going to learn what that all means in terms of God-given graciousness, and he certainly needed it. So let's begin reading chapter 33. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming. You remember what happened? Defrauded Esau. Stole from him. Deceived him. And Esau's coming. Esau, the guy who promised to kill him. Esau was coming, 400 men with him. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel, two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children and Jacob and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This was the exam. You know, we've been, the last couple chapters, we've been talking about Jacob and, and his apprehension and this difficulty and the challenge he's facing. But this is the true exam. I mean, that whole thing with Laban, that was like a, a test exam. And then, you know, this, this last little bit of the journey, that was a study time. But now he lifts his eyes and coming over the horizon is Esau and his horde. And he promised he would be comforted. He would be comforted when he killed Jacob. And it seems that Jacob, as he's responding to this, is sort of falling back on his usual way of acting. What's he do? He lines up his family in order of importance to him. The servants go out in front with their children, with livestock, with everything else. And then come, well, his first wife, but she's second, Leah and her boys. And then comes Joseph and Rachel. But what happens 
in these verses is significant. I know we're always hard on Jacob. I know that he's an easy one to be hard on, but there's growth taking place in his life. There is something going on here. Because look at what happens at the end of these verses. It says, he goes on ahead. He goes on ahead before Rachel. He goes before Leah. He goes before even the servants. He goes out in front and he meets Esau first. And then all these other groups come along behind and bump into him, as it were, as he is embracing Esau. What I want to point out here is this bit of growth in Jacob's life. We can sort of gloss over it. We could just sort of go, oh, there he is again. There he is again. He's, you know, lining up things according to his favorites and that sort of thing. But this is sacrificial leadership. You could say servant leadership. And long before Jesus ever said to his disciples, listen, if you're going to follow me, you're going to quit bickering over who's more important, quit putting yourself first, quit lifting yourself up, and you are going to be a servant. Because even the Son of Man, right? Mark chapter 10, 40-something down the end of the chapter, he says, if you... Even the, even the Son of Man came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And long before Jesus ever said that, as clearly as that to his disciples, to his followers, his followers in the Old Testament were showing that character in their lives as they grew and progressed. You think of it, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, later on, David, here Jacob. They're putting their life out there before other people. And that is a difficult thing to do. And for some people, it's easier than other people. But we know Jacob's character. You know, we, we can say, well, I was just wired this way. This is my personality. This is who I am. Well, it doesn't matter who we are on the scale of people in this world, God has saved us and wants to transform us into a better version of ourselves. The version where he is living through us, where we're taking on his character. And these Old Testament characters, they didn't have all the New Testament teaching that we have. But the more they hung around with God, the, more they were, the longer they were in relationship with him, the more they became like him. And I, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Jacob is growing in grace. Here we see him not putting everybody out in front and him going to the back or skirting around the side or something. He goes on before them. He's the first one to meet Esau and he falls to his knees. He humbles himself. He submits to who? To God, right? Because every struggle, all the wrestling we do is ultimately with God. And so he shows God, you know what? I'm was he afraid? Of course he was. But did he still show faith? 
Did he still honor the Lord? Did he, did he still obey? Yeah. Because God was the one who sent him on this journey. God was the one who told him, go back home. And so with all his fear, sets things up and he goes out in front. And he falls down on his knees. Says he bows seven times. Humbly before Esau. Humbly before God. Submitting. Obeying. Do you see these marks of graciousness in your life? Is it, are we growing? Are we changing? I'm not just talking about that where we go, well, I should do this. I'm going to force myself to. But also just this idea of your character changing where you are more concerned about other people than yourself. Where you're more concerned about God. Saying, Lord, I want to obey you. I'm, I'm going to honor you. You are first. Is God changing you? We cannot walk with the Lord without him changing our walk. Might look like an injury to others. Weakness. Like a three-legged race. It might look like Jacob's <coughs> limp. But it's a mark of God's gracious character in your life. Think of it. He'd been injured in that wrestling match with God. As he went forward, he was, he was limping. He was, for the rest of his life, leaning on that staff. And people might look at you and might think, ah, they're weak. Look at them. They're humble and submissive. Huh. Those things aren't uh, exalted too much in our world today. But Lord, if, if we are humbled and submissive before the Lord... It is not wrong. It cannot be wrong. He will care for us. The second part is gracious approach to adversity. Let's continue to read. Verse 4 down through 11 says, But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck. And he kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servant drew near and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I meet? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from your hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and Esau took it. Well, the unthinkable happens. 
Esau, the defrauded, aggressive, older brother, the hunter who's used to killing things, is happy to see Jacob. And things seem to go perfectly in the meeting. Jacob's family follows his example. As he bowed down before Esau, they come along and, and they bow down. They display this, it's a display of exaggerated Middle Eastern politeness. Giving of gifts. He, remember he sent all those animals before that had arrived earlier on. And Esau's going, I don't need them. And he says, no, no, you take them. And we need to understand that this wasn't natural. This should not have happened this way. In fact, Jacob was not expecting this kind of reception. What we see going on here is God restraining Esau. This aggressive guy. This proud man who'd been cheated. God's restraining him. And God is showing grace to Jacob. Jacob was operating like a person touched by grace. He understood its worth. Jacob was this man who was wired to get for himself from the time he was young. He wanted. Give me, give me, give me was the way he looked at life. And here it is. He's giving of himself. He's sending all these animals that he'd worked for with Laban on ahead and giving them as gifts to Esau. You know who it reminds me of? Once again, New Testament example. Do you remember Zacchaeus? He didn't become a tax collector by mistake. He became a tax collector because he knew he could make a lot of money. And he was making a lot of money. He was cheating his own people. He was, he was taxing his own people so he could be wealthy. But what happened when he met Jesus Christ? What happened when Jesus Christ walked, literally walked into his life and came into his home? Jesus said it. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And what did Zacchaeus say? He says, I'm going to give money to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay them back four times. Four times over. Why? Did he all of a sudden not like money? <laughs> no, he loved the Lord even more. And his heart had been transformed. And been changed. And this is what we're seeing in Jacob's life here. He was transformed. He's giving of his wealth, all of this wealth to, to Esau. And then Jacob continues to communicate about God's grace. Let's look at that one verse, verse 10. I'm trying to find the spot. If I found favor in your sight, accept my present from my hand. This is going to be a measure of whether you've really forgiven me if you accept the gift. He forces Esau to take the gift. Then he says this, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face 
of God. What does he mean like that? Did, did Esau have a snow white beard and big white hair and he was kind of shiny and oh, it's like I'm seeing the face of God. No. He's seeing God in this whole situation, isn't he? He's remembering God's grace to him in the past. God's graciously given me all these things. And he's seeing grace in this moment of trauma, of challenge, of difficulty. He's going, God's in the middle of this. And I I was reading that going, this parallels perfectly his leaving Canaan. Remember? When he's leaving, he's on the run. He sleeps, head in the stone, and he sees the stairway going to heaven. Angels descending, ascending, I did the opposite, descending, ascending, and God is at the top. The Lord is there. A vision of God. God said, I want to impress this guy. I am close. Here in this situation, there's no vision. But he still sees God in the circumstance. Are we ready to do that? Or are we always going, I want, I want a vision. I want something more tangible. I want a dream at least. I mean, it'd be okay if God came and did a miracle before me, but and here he's saying, it's kind of like this double revelation of himself. On the way out, God shows himself in a vision. On the way back, God shows himself powerfully in a circumstance, in a situation. And he says, seeing your face, (laughs) it's like seeing the face of God. Coming together in this wonderful moment of greeting, it wasn't enough that they're twins. Oh, brother. No. It had to be God. It was God in the middle of this, and he thanked God for this. Verse 11 He says, God has dealt graciously with me. Says it again. God has dealt graciously with me. He understood God's grace and it transformed the way he looked at life's circumstances. This situation was was difficult. Difficult. And as I said, it's the traumatic times when we see God. Because we're looking for him. It's that Jeremiah 29, 13 principle. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek for me with all your heart. When you seek with me, for me with all your heart. And we think, wow, those people who live in this place or that place in this time or that time, they seem to have such a real relationship with the Lord. Well, they were facing difficult times. They were without. We're in a situation, we have to admit, it's a padded situation. (laughs) We're padded financially. And if that's not enough, we got insurance to cover everything. And and we've we've got good jobs. We've got homes to live in. We've got food coming out our ears. And we, we begin to think, this is just how life should work. And we get the, a minute little problem in our life. We go, oh, come on. 
What's going on? Why is this happening to me? Rather than realize, man, the fact that we've got all that we've got, that life is working as well as it is, is just a testimony to the fact that we're living in this fantasy called North America right now. In this time period, there were people who went before us who, who carved out this nation with Christian principles, many with a real Christian faith. And they faced hardships and they knew that God was close. And they talked about that in the forming of this country. They called it a dominion, referring to Genesis. They recognize God in those difficulties. And so we need to take the, the difficulties and the challenges we have. I'm not trying to minimize your challenges, but we need to take all of these and use them as God intends them to bring us close to Him, to trust more fully in Him, to obey Him to humble ourselves before him. Sometimes we don't think we have the right to hope in God. Is that your problem? Is that my problem sometimes where, where I go, well, yeah, I've been kind of wandering. Now, how can I trust in God in this difficult circumstance? I don't deserve it. But that's not grace. Grace is what we receive that we don't deserve. And if anybody was in a situation, you know, anybody, we have their, his life laid out before us, we could say, man, this guy did not deserve it. You say, but the problem I'm facing is a problem of my own making. I need to face it on my own. This mess... <laughs> The reason he was trembling before his brother, it was completely his own mess. And yet God was willing to show him grace. You and I, we can never deserve God's grace. We always deserve hell. Any day we are not in hell is a good day. We're sinners. We fall short. But God in his grace paid for our sins. Christ came into the world and he paid for those sins that had to be paid for. And he offers that grace to us. He offers that grace in salvation. He wants us to understand that grace. He offers us that grace in our day-to-day -day trials, troubles, and difficulties. Come near. Trust. Obey. Don't lean on your own resources. And so God gives us these situations. God gives us these, these beautiful, traumatic <laughs> situations that we that we would run away from. 
if we could. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us trials in our lives that we cannot escape. And we must turn to you and learn more about you, about your love, about your goodness, to have a more intimate, close relationship with you. Do we ever pray that prayer? Thanking God for trials that we can't run from, we can't escape. We probably should. Afterwards, a lot of stuff happens afterwards, right? But what if we did it in the middle of? I remember talking about this when we were studying James. Man, how much more powerful it would be if when the emotions are boiling and the fear is there and, and we haven't yet reached the, the climax of the trial, we go, and it doesn't necessarily wash all our fears away, but it can give us some peace. And it is the right thing to do. We say, Lord, you've got this. I don't know how. It doesn't seem like it's at all possible. I am giving it to you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to do what I am supposed to do. And keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Because that's where the trouble comes in. And that's where the difficulty comes in with Jacob. I mean, I say the humanity of this story. We move into this last section of this chapter, this last part. And we see his graciousness even in his avoidance of Esau. Let's see what it says in verse 12. It says, then Esau said, after all the formalities, let us journey on our way, and I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care of to me. If they're driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me. And at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. That sounds like an excuse, right? Think of the children. I can't go on with you. So Esau said, well, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth, which means booths. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way to Padam Aram. And he camped before the city, and from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he brought, bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar, and it's called El Elohe Israel, or God, the God of Israel. Who's Israel? He is, right? Last chapter, first mention of that name. When God fought with him, he, he called him. You are Israel. 
So what happens in this last part of the chapter? Esau offers to escort Jacob and his family back to Seir, where Esau now lives. In fact, he, he pretty much insists, I'm going to at least give you men, and, and they're going to accompany you. They're going to protect you along the way. And we have one of these Middle Eastern offer refusal, offer refusal. You know, I've, I've got it. I want to. And no, 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 no. And this time, Jacob puts his foot down and says, no, it's, it's not going to happen. And we look at how he responds and we go, was it right? Was it wrong? What was the motivation? What was going on in this whole exchange? And like usual, there's a mixed bag. Right, wrong, good, bad. Right? A lot of times in our lives, it's a mixed bag. The way we respond and act in different situations. Sometimes it's very subtle, just motivations are not pure. But I don't think this was a problem with Jacob's motivations. He needed to put some distance between his family and Esau's. This was the right part of what's going on here. He wasn't so afraid of Esau that he was going to go, well, I'll just do whatever he says. He wasn't going, wow, God has been so gracious to me. Now I just have to sort of put myself back into this. No, he says, hey, I've got to draw a line. Remember, Esau didn't fear God. Esau married pagan wives. There was false worship going on in that family. Another thing, where did he live? He lived in Seir. Where, where's Seir? Seir is down in the south, south of the promised land. A land that is to become Edom, named after Esau. That wasn't where Jacob was supposed to be going. So that's why Jacob starts making the, well, you know, I've got these kids and these animals and I've got to take care of them and we don't want to run too fast. And he starts making these excuses, which is his way of kind of soft pedaling. You know what? I I'm not going to go with you. But then he lies. <laughs> this is Jacob. He says, oh, you go on ahead. I'll be right there. I'm coming. Me over here. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And then he heads in the exact opposite direction. <laughs> he goes north to Shechem. You might remember that name is one of the first places that Jesus went when he was preaching, right? And he met a woman at a well. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? Think of that, hundreds of years, this well had stood there. And so he takes off in the opposite direction. And we think, well, it was just a little lie. It was a white lie, right? And white lies are okay. The moment we start to fudge on our integrity what happens he just lied to esau and esau doesn't even deserve the truth but you know when we when we go that route in that relationship with that imperfect human being usually we are affected and it affects our relationship with with god too 
Do you know Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? These guys, they were called to sojourn in the promised land. They were called to live there. That was their land. And if you read about it in Genesis, and then you read about it in Hebrews chapter 11, these guys were supposed to be living there as though they were waiting for something better. And obviously in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us the, you know what? We are all waiting for a better land. We're not after a physical piece of geography, dirt, ground, rocks, trees. That's not what we're supposed to be hoping for. We're hoping in something better, a place with the Lord himself. And so this little problem with integrity, lying, to Esau, all of a sudden Jacob makes it back to the promise. What's he do? He builds a home. He starts to settle down. He starts buying land. He's not sojourning anymore. And you think, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I mean, on one hand, he did so well. He held back from going with Esau and just saying, hey, I'm going to hang out with my big brother again, or my, my brother, big by a few seconds. But he, he lived out a principle. Once again, we could go to the New Testament principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where it talks about not being unequally yoked. Not being in a relationship with an unbeliever that's going to affect our relationship with God. That's unequal yoking. That can take place. You know, we always talk about it in terms of a marriage relationship, the challenge. Being married to an unbeliever can take place in business. Can just even be a friendship. When you put yourself in a place where you're going to compromise in your relationship with God because of your relationship with another person, take care. You know where you struggle, where your weaknesses are. And Jacob did well there. Jacob said, no, this guy, he's a big personality, Esau. I've got to keep myself separate. But the way he does it is not right. And we see his integrity slide. We see things go in the wrong direction. And so this is an amazing story, this coming back, and we're sort of wrapping it up, and as I was thinking about it, looking back, I think there's a lot of doubles in this, right? We've got Esau and Jacob, they're twins, double. Double wives. <laughs> Each of them have two wives, bad idea. A double threat as Jacob comes back. The threat of Laban behind, the threat of Esau before. Double camps. Double camps. Remember that? When he was coming back, he, he saw the Lord again, and he said, he, he, he said, here I am camped here, and it just said, saw the angels of the Lord camped about. A double camp. We have double appearances of God. On the way out of Canaan, on the way back in. We have a double deliverance. Double deliverance is God shows his grace 
to trouble Jacob. As Jacob leans on him, as he leans in, as he trusts him, God is good. But we also see Jacob, grace in his life. We see him growing in grace. We see him changing and being changed. And I thought of a passage in 2 Peter, and I want to read it to you. 2 Peter chapter 3 as we conclude. And I just want you to consider this in terms of the adversity that we face in this life. And Peter kind of frames this in, he frames it in, in light of everything that's happening. In light of the fact that we're living in the last days, Peter says, in light of the Lord's return and his desire for us to be holy people, he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And Peter is saying, you know, we're, we're living in uncertain times. And we're living in the midst of difficult situations, circumstances, difficult people even. What's our hope? To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Not simply a, well, here's what the Bible says and these are all the answers. But in relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior. Grow in relationship with Him. Allow Him to change. Trust Him. Obey Him. Walk with Him. Lean on Him. Depend Depend on him desperately. Knowing there is not one day that we can glorify God effectively without Christ working through us. No matter how long we've been Christians. And there's not one situation, one threat that we will face that he cannot work through us to help us glorify him. Are you growing in grace with Jesus Christ? Are we growing with him? Are we spending that time we need to to allow him to not just rub off on us? He's already in us. If we know him as our Lord and Savior, he's in us. But allowing him to live through us as we nurture that relationship we have with him. Lord, thank you for this promise this promise that we see in your word again and again, you want to live through us, that you'll continue to transform and change us. Also, this promise that we see in one of the most desperate people we know, in one of the most desperate situations. A man who didn't have the teaching that we have. A man who doesn't have the history that we know of in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the cross. 
And yet, as you came close to him and as he desperately clung to you at a time of great need, you showed your sufficiency. In fact, so well it would be one of those situations that we might walk out of the other side, Lord, going, oh, we didn't have to worry after all. But Jacob didn't do that, Lord. He said, thank you, Lord. You are gracious. You are gracious. You are gracious. Lord, help us. Help us to learn more of your grace in our daily lives. Help us to be more ready to thank you for your grace. Help us to grow in grace as well. To learn of you as we, as we live out the life that you've called us to live. A life of, of fearlessness, a life of faith, a life of generosity. A life of obedience. And may the truth of who you are be confirmed again and again as we live the life that you've called us to live. And Lord, if we doubt, help us to recognize that it's only through walking in the way you've called us to walk that we will know you in the way we want to know you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for grace. Amen.